Beautiful. Stephanie, thank you so, so very much. Hey, let's find 1 Corinthians in uh, chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we're going to, uh, I kind of hit on this a little bit last time I was with you. And I'm going to explain the context with you. But let's read verses 9, 10, and 11. I'm going to hit on a couple of other things. And Stephanie, thank you for reminding us. The word lamb, when we refer to Jesus as being the lamb of God, that speaks volumes right there. That he was the lamb. He was the pure, holy lamb sacrificed for you and for me. Amen? Gives us a change. Now, this, this little section here we're calling honoring God with our bodies. So, Paul, you'll remember what Paul has done. Paul addressed the church in Corinth in the first four chapters, and he talked about divisions in the church. And he said, listen, you don't, don't put people on a pedestal. Don't, uh, don't be a preacher worshiper. Don't be an apostle worshiper. He says, it's all about Jesus. They were fighting in the church. And then he moved into chapters 5, 6, and 7. And so we're in 6, and we're in the heart of this section, which talks about sexual immorality. And so Paul is talking about honoring God with our bodies. So the next, this, this message in the next and maybe even another one, we're going to be talking about honoring God with our bodies. And so now that we're saved, we honor God with our bodies. Now, this section here, the context, uh, a lot of uh, scholars and others have trouble trying to figure out whether these verses go with the first eight verses or with 12 through 20. And so I'm going to show you where we are, and, and that will be our context for today. Now, you remember Wednesday night... We're going through Titus on Wednesday night. One of the things that I did was try to, to help you, and I always tell you this. If you'll listen, as you listen to me preach, if you'll listen to this, if you'll look for these cues uh, in the message, you'll understand where we're going. You'll understand what I'm doing and how I preach, and you'll get more out of it. So the first thing I'm going to do is argue a point. I'm going to say, hey, here's the truth of the Scripture. Then I'm going to explain that truth for you. I'm going to illustrate it. And then we'll apply it. And so I'm going to try to help you take it out of here with you. Now, also with that formula, within the message, you will see me take one single point and argue that point, explain that point, illustrate that point, and then help you to apply it. And so our outline, really where we are, uh, is the first point in the outline, in the major outline of this text, the foundation of your purity. And so in order for you to be uh, holy or use your body for holiness and be holy in Christ, you have to have the foundation, which is going to be salvation. That is these verses here. And so these verses say this. Paul says in verse number 9, don't you know? And so, so many times in this passage he says that, which means you do know. Paul says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, no sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or anyone practicing homosexuality, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, verse 11 is, I mean, this is the marquee verse right here. This speaks of the, the foundation of your purity. Where does your purity and my purity come from? Verse 11, 
And some of you, look, used to be like this. So Paul is talking to saved people. If you look back up in verse 9, he says, don't you know that the unrighteous. So he's speaking of the characteristics of people who don't know the Lord. But then when he gets to verse 11, he says, and some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. Now, there's so much in verse 11 that it's just amazing. Now, the second major point of this, of this little mini-series is going to be verse 12. Now, look at verse 12. Not only the foundation of your purity, but the failure of your freedom. Now, how do we act once we have purity in Christ theologically? Right? Verses 19 and 11. Verse 11, you have purity as a Christian salvation. Now, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is helpful. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be brought under the power or the control of any. And so there's your, there's your failure in your freedom. As you grow in Christ and you get more mature, you, you have freedom. There are certain things you'll allow in your life that you didn't before because you have it under control. But when it boils down to it, if you lose control and it gets control over you, you failed in your freedom. And so... We're, we're, so we're going to talk about some of those things. We're going to get very specific with them, and I hope to teach you some of those things. Now, the last, look to the last verse in verse number 20. And I'm going to back up just a little bit. So he says, Paul talks about the reason that we have to have purity in our bodies is because we were bought with a price. And so if you don't know this, if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you don't own yourself anymore. He owns you, and he has a right to tell you what comes in and out of your life. He has a right to tell you what to do with your time, your talents, your money, everything about you. Now notice the text. He says, you're not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, and this is the last point that we'll deal with when we get there, the fabric of your honor. You want to be an honorable Christian? He says, honor God with your bodies. So this is the deal. My body doesn't belong to me. My body belongs to the Lord Jesus. And so Paul, here in this church that was in Corinth, most of the believers came out of the world, and they were, they were pagans. And so what, what did they do? Until they grew in their faith, what they did was they brought a lot of paganism into the church. And so that's what we're doing here. Paul is addressing the paganism that was brought into church. And so you'll remember back, Paul says, gosh, there was even a man who was uh, having a relationship with his, his mother-in-law. And Paul says, even the pagans don't do that. And so Paul is dealing with these things. And so uh, C.S. Lewis has said this, every story of conversion is the story of a blessed defeat. And, and we're the ones that get defeated. I've known Jesus for almost 40 years now, and every day that I get up, it's a struggle to give up my rights and what I want to do and what God wants me to do. It, there's, it's, it's a totally different world. And so here we have the context. So now my proposition for you today, here's my argument. Obedience to Christ and purity in body and, 
and, and are topics that are rarely talked about today and mostly avoided. Most preachers don't even preach on purity and holiness as a Christian anymore because we're being tolerant now. We just let people be who they want to be. And so we, we, we are accused of not loving the sinner, which is absolutely incorrect. But there's some standards at the house of God. And there's standards in heaven that God says, once you belong to me, here's how you're supposed to act. Not my choice, it's God's choice. Amen? And so my argument here is this. Now, there has to be this ugly theology that's dealt with that you make Jesus your Savior, and then later on you make Him Lord. It's called Lordship Salvation. We don't believe that here. When you give Jesus your heart, Paul says there's a clear line of demarcation. You can look at verse 19 and 11. You look at the unrighteous there's a very specific line of demarcation of the way they act and the way we're supposed to act. Doesn't mean we don't act like that sometimes, and we have to own up to that. But Paul says, you used to be that, but you're not that anymore, and you have responsibility to God before God. So holiness, listen, here's the argument. Holiness, here's the proposition, and what I mean by that is, as I preach, I propose that. And here's the, here it is. Holiness is the measure of your dedication in your relationship with Christ. You'll be as holy as you want to be. And that's different for different people because the dedication is level. Now, let me ask you a question, and, and, I'm, and I want you to address this in your own heart. Do you agree that you belong to someone else when you come to know Jesus Christ? I just read it to you in verse 20. You can disagree with me, but you're disagreeing with verse number 20. You honor God in your body. What I want to do is honor God in my body. That means that I'm responsible to God for the way I act, and I'm responsible to you the way I act. And we're going we're gonna to get into that in big detail. So do you agree that when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you lose rights and privileges to yourself? Christian women telling me, my body, my choice. No, it's not. Your body wasn't your choice before you got pregnant. Your body belongs to Jesus. He Listen, when you're saved, you're redeemed, mind, body, soul. At the rapture of the church, he raises your old body, makes it a new body. Why? Because he redeemed it. It belongs to him. He's going to give you a new body. So everything that I do in my body, I belong to Jesus. Y'all all right? So verse 20 says, you're bought with a price. Honor God with your body. There's my argument. There's my proposition. There's my main point. What I want you to see this morning as you, as you think about this is I want you to come face-to-face -face with the reality so the Word becomes the standard for our living. And there has to be a standard. You, you can't take the Word of God and change it because we don't like it. Now, you wouldn't like it if your pharmacist said, I'm going to change the whole measurements of everything. If you're building a house, and today you're spilling $400,000 on a house, and your builder said, hey, oh yeah, by the way, a foot now is 14 inches. It's just a new standard. Well, you'd have a messed up house. And if you try to change the standard, if you try to say, well, 9 milligrams is now going to be 14 milligrams, you're going to die because you're going to take the wrong medicine. Now, you won't put up that with a builder. You won't put up with that from your pharmacist. But you're going to tell me you allow, that God would allow you to do that? No, there's a standard. And we live by the standard. And so after I preach today, I, I, I want you to make sure that if you believe you can live any way you want to and be saved, that you know that you're out of God's will and you're being disobedient. 
And so here's where we are. Verse 19 11 gives you the foundation for your purity from, from your sin, from their salvation experience. Paul says, from your salvation experience, here's the theology, the theological proof that you're a saint, that you're holy and righteous in Jesus Christ. And then the, the, from 12 to the end of the chapter, it is holiness in, purity in your salvation. Now, there's two different things. Now, listen, the one thing that lost people still can't understand about us as believers is this. How can I claim to be holy when they see the way that I live? Now, here, Paul's going to tell you in verse 9, 10, and 11, here's the theology, here's the foundation of your purity. You're in Christ. That's what you used to be. Here's what you are now. Then in verses 9 on through 11, Paul's going to say, Here's the things that you allow in your life. You fail in your freedom. You see, as we live, we grow and we mature. And we, you see, when you get saved, you don't automatically become practically holy. You're theologically holy. If you die, you're going to heaven because you're in Jesus. But you're a long way from being what God wants you to be. Y'all all right? Forty years of knowing Jesus, and I learned one of the biggest lessons in humility this week that I've learned since I've been a Christian. I got rebuked by the Lord and was taught what to do. Amen? I mean, it's just that simple. He's not finished with me. Y'all okay? So now let's look at the foundation of the purity. So there's a foundation to our purity, and Paul very clearly right here talks about the, the old life, the people of the old life. And Paul's going to take these, these characteristics of, of folks. There are, there are three verses that are contrast to show and remind the Corinthians. Paul's telling the church, remember now, in context, he's telling the church there that this is what the old life used to be. But the foundation of your purity, Jesus said this, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one that's already been laid, that is Jesus Christ. So if you come up and you say, oh, well, you can work your way to heaven, you can buy your way to heaven, you can give a lot of money, you can take the sacraments in the Catholic Church and be saved, you're not saved. You're saved by Jesus Christ. That's the foundation. That's where your purity comes from. And Paul says, now following your Bible with me, look in verse number 2. We could name this, this whole chapter six spiritual truths that every Christian should know. And Paul says in verse 2, don't you know that the saints will judge the world? One day during the millennium when the rapture happens and we go to heaven, we'll help Jesus rule the world during the millennium. In verse number 3, don't you know that you'll judge angels? And he goes on, verse 9, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's where we are today. We're going to talk about the unrighteous and what the righteous are. Verse 15, your bodies are members of Christ. You see, a while ago when I was, we were in shepherd's prayer, I was telling you, we're a body. When you join Woodlake, you become a part of the body right here at Christ. If you go off the deep end and do crazy things, you can give a bad witness to Woodlake by the things you do, and you're not even with everybody else, you see, because you're connected. Paul literally talks about us as a real body, like some of your hands and some of your feet. Pastors being the mouth this morning, and, and some of you are the strong backs, and some of you are the prayers. Nobody ever sees you. Paul says literally the members of the body that are the weakest are the most important. You can't really do without your little toe. You can't really do without your thumb. Your thumb is very thick, but it's sets us apart from everything in creation because, you know, some of y'all got a prehensile tail. 
All right, just kidding. Verse 16, he who is joined to a prostitute is one with her in body. Didn't you know that? Paul's dealing with them. And then he says in verse number 19, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit that's within you whom you have from God. You were not Gnostics. And, and in the notes that are online, you find the notes online. If they're not there now, they will be soon, in the morning probably. There's a, there's a link that I put in there for you to explain Gnosticism to you, but I'm going to move on. So Paul says, didn't you know? In other words, Paul says, you do know. And listen to me. People are always saying, well, you got a bunch of hypocrites down there at the church and blah, blah, blah. Let me tell you something about lost people. They know the standard. You see, if they couldn't criticize us about our unholiness, and we are unholy many times, they, wouldn't, they couldn't do that if they didn't know the standard. They know what they're doing is wrong too, and so do we. Let's just be honest. Notice Paul says, if you do these things, know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom. Don't be deceived. You know where people are today? They're deceived. I, got, I saw it myself, but many of you sent me both of these articles this week. There's an Anglican bishop that says the Lord's Prayer, there's a, there's a problematic. The, the, the word father in the Lord's Prayer is problematic because there may be people who had an abusive father. What a goober. I had a bad father, and guess what? I found out my father in heaven is the perfect father. We don't change the standard because somebody got their feelings hurt when they were a kid, when they got a spanking. Y'all all right? There is one who is in the mountains, Mount Hebron in northeast Georgia. He's building a church on accepting everyone. Everyone comes, no matter what your sins are. You just come on. We're just, we're just talking about love. Well, that, well, that's not Christianity. I want you to come here and be challenged to live holy. And, and, and listen... Accepting people. We accept people here too. But you can't live in open immorality here. We, I'm going to share the gospel with you because I want you to be a better person. I want you to be saved, not just a better person. Y'all all right? And so here, Paul uses the word deceived. It, it means to be a seducer, to go astray. These pastors are seducers. A priest, literally, who has recently said that God is transgender, that, that God is androgynous. I'm going to tell you, that man's deceived. He's been, it's deceptive. The word here is deceived. And so when sinners are wrong and they have no basis for their beliefs, they become belligerent. And here's what they do. They start changing the names of the words for sin. That's what they do. And I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell you this is what we call people who drink too much. They're drunks. And people that are attracted to younger people immorally are called pedophiles now they're changing it to maps well Paul deals specifically with this and he uses words here that are very specific about people's wickedness and lasciviousness and I want to tell you I've had people literally after I said this the last time got mad and left our church because I told them point blank they're coming after your children do you understand that they are coming after the children who who how in the world can our president this weekend be sniffing on little bitty girls and point blank tell her, don't tell your mother the secret that I told you? How can open immorality be like with the president of the United States? No time in history have we ever allowed. We're so wicked today. No time in history have we allowed the children to be abused like this. 
Unbelievable. And people saying that it's okay. So we're, you know, so now we're maps and we're alcoholics and we have gender dysphoria. It's a sickness out there. And we should be not transitioning, but we should be transforming. And that's the problem. And so the, the key word here is now watch. There's two key words here. Know that the unrighteous. Who are the unrighteous? They're people that don't have Jesus as their personal Savior. They're the unrighteous. And notice what he says. They'll not inherit the kingdom of God. Not going to inherit the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Well, you know that, you know, I showed up to an estate sale one day or an inheritance reading of a will, and I sat in a room, and they read the will, and I said, listen, I didn't get anything. He says, well, who are you? I said, what does it matter? I'm here to get my inheritance. Well, what's your name? I told them. They says, well, no, this is the Jones reading of the will. You're Jerry Gray. What are you doing here? I said, well, I just thought I could show up and get some inheritance. (laughs) Would you allow that? Well, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you think you're going to inherit the kingdom of God. I got news for you. It's not going to happen. Serious consequences of not being part of the family. And that's what I said. When you come to know Christ, non-family members don't get an inheritance. And so then Paul goes into telling us who the unrighteous are. Notice he says the fornicators. This is the sexually immoral. Guess what the Greek word for sexually immoral is? Pornos. You know what word we get from that. Pornography. Sex before marriage is fornication. Internet pornography, magazines, uncontrolled lust of the flesh, perversion, And Paul says, don't associate with the wicked. You know, there's a lot of fornicators out there that don't call it fornication. They're reading material, watching movies. We, we, doing things that we shouldn't do, allowing things in your life. And you see, Paul says, all things are permissible for me, but all these things aren't edifying. God allows you to choose what is permissible and edifying in your life. And if you are brought under the power of any whether it be your iPhone, food, I didn't really need to mention that, but amen. Y'all with me? Now, we're going to talk about alcohol and all kind of other stuff in the midst, but this is not a message about alcohol. It's about control, and I hope you don't see it like that. Notice he says the idolaters. Paul says the, the, the image worshipers, anything that replaces God in your life, anything that keeps you from fulfilling the promise that you made to him as being Savior and Lord can be a stumbling block in your life. Did you know that some people don't have a problem with alcohol, but they have a problem with sports, TV, vices? How much time do you waste watching television when you could be doing other things that are, that are more spiritual and important? People, we worship people today. Some people worship their jobs and their work and their hobbies, even church. Did you know that some people worship church and don't worship the Lord? And guess what? The greatest act of self-worship is people worshiping themselves today. We are a culture that is just, I mean, obsessed with how we look. And if you have a problem with that... Just take a good look at yourself naked in the mirror next time you get out of the shower. That'll fix that, I promise you. You're not nearly as hot as you think you are. You all right? 
We have people that are worshiping preachers. Paul dealt with that in the first four chapters. He said, stop doing this. Jesus should be the most important person to you. Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons. The Mormons are worshiping Joseph Smith. You got pictures of Joseph Smith up everywhere. You'll notice something. There's no Baptist forefathers pictures hanging up in here. You know why? Because Jesus is most important. Jehovah's Witnesses, the, 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 uh, Taz Russell and the, the founders, uh, many worshiping Ellen, Ellen White and the Pope. One of our senators recently, when the Pope spoke in Congress, got up after the Pope spoke, and the Pope drank while he was there, drank a little bit of his water, put it down. Senator goes and grabs the water and takes it to his office and hides it, calls his family in, says, come in, let the grandkids and everybody drink from this. That, that, this idol worship. Listen carefully. We're going to answer to God about our idols. Adulterers. Uh, the Greek word is moikos. One who has intercourse with someone else's spouse. Now, who is, the, who is the great adulterers, the great pushers of adulterers? Now, think about this before you answer. Think about it. What is the greatest source of lust in our society today? Where does it come from? Where does it come from? Just think about it. Just think about it, don't it? What? Hollywood. Hollywood is a good one. Huh? Ourself. There's still another one better. You're inundated with it everywhere you go. Advertisements. Advertisements push everything. Even Holly, everything that Hollywood produces is because you might go and see a little nudity. That's what they want to do. They want to get you there. Cars they sell, nudity. They will give you just enough to get your attention so I can sell you the car. You see, everything today functions around moikos, adultery. The porn industry. Adultery destroys everything in a person's life. It destroys trust. Uh, and listen, and some people tr that try today, the preachers that try to lessen the sin, let me tell you what Jesus did. Jesus never lessened the weight of iniquity and sin. He never did that. Jesus actually said, you've heard that adultery was wrong? I'll tell you that lust is adultery. You see, many of the men this morning, we, we've, we've committed adultery before we ever got out of the car to get in here. And some of it is the fault of the ladies who dress provocatively. Everywhere you go. Man, let me tell you something. I made a mistake one time of going to the mall on Halloween to pick something up. There was nobody in there with clothes on. I thought, I got to get out of here. I was scared somebody was going to eat me. I didn't know what was going on. I never seen such crazy stuff in all my life. Now, listen, here's where it gets really effeminates. Paul literally, this word of a homosexual activity, talks about effeminates. This means soft. It's a male prostitute. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a person who it speaks of a male or males who are addicted to lewdness and the sins of fleshly sex. This is recently was on the news. It was all over social media that parents took their kids to a pride parade and grown men riding bicycles completely naked, completely naked. Genitals exposed the whole nine yards, everything. And the parents were there allowing this. This is what this word, this is an effeminate. It, it speaks of androgyny. In the linguistic exegetical key to the New Testament, Roger says this is the passive 
partner in the homosexual relationship. You know what is very strange to me that I never understood? One person of the same sex will want to date another person of the same sex, and then one person in that new relationship will be a man and one will be a woman. Why didn't you just stay like you were supposed to be and you'd have had that? See, it's perversion. It's sickness. And this is, these are effeminates. And, and let me tell you something, fellas. This has been a long time coming. It's been on my heart for a long time. And I say this to the folks watching by way of the Internet. A man is a man and a woman is a woman. And, fellas, you need to act like a man. And you need to dress like a man. You need to cut your hair like a man. And you need to be tough. You need to be the boss at your house. You need to be the man who picks up the heavy stuff, takes care of your wife, defends her, protects her, and treats her like the queen of Sheba. You're not supposed to be soft. And you're not supposed to come home and whine and whine and I feel bad and I can't do nothing and i got to sit in my lazy boy all day. Get over yourself. And pull up your britches and strap your boots and act like a man. I just needed to say that. The homosexual defenders, it means to be a sodomite, abuser of oneself. Arain or arsace or arsin is the Greek word. Don't ever let anyone tell you that the words for homosexuality are not in the Bible. They're in the Bible. This word for arain is the word for couch or bed or chamberling. It means to be laid up with someone of the opposite sex. You get the idea. I don't care. Now listen, here's the edge for you. Because many of you have family and friends and co-workers that you know are involved in these types of sins. And you want to know, Brother Jerry, what do I do? And I'm accused because of what I just preached of not loving people. That's not the case at all. Because, and I'll tell you this, and, and, and I could go with you. I'll tell you, I've gone to counseling with homosexuals. I've counseled homosexuals. I've been around them. And, and I've gone places with them and done things with them so I could be there to share with them and to put the hook in it. We, we can't just forsake people, especially if they're in your family. And here's the greatest edge that you have. Listen to Pastor. A wicked man knows his lifestyle is harmful. He may not admit it to you, but he knows it. And I want to tell you that these types of sin cannot be committed without a person hurting emotionally, physically, socially, and spiritually. The psychological ramifications to a sinful lifestyle is your greatest edge to reach them. You need to talk to them about the, the restoration and the purity and the holiness that comes with being a Christian and being close to God and understanding purity and holiness. And for crying out loud, don't make jokes about it. Don't make fun of them. Tell them about Jesus. Amen? Then Paul moves on and he says there's thieves. The Greek word is kleptes. We get our word kleptomaniac from that can I say to you you can't be a, a Christian and righteous if you're stealing stuff and I had to deal with this a long time ago because there was times that you know I'd be at the church doing something and something wasn't I was out of something at home I'd grab something at church and take it with me and the Lord said not only are you stealing Jerry you're stealing from the house of God guess what we did we bought new stuff and brought it back you all right? And listen, 
How many of you growing up, be honest with me, how many of you growing up, do you remember the first time you stole something? How many of you remember that? Can I ask you this? Do you remember how terrible you felt after you did it? You know what? And most of us learned from that, and we got over it, and we said, I'll never do that again. And I still, to this day, there's somebody that I took something from before I knew the Lord, and, I, and, if, and I've prayed for God to let me bump into them somewhere, somehow, some way, and on the spot, I will pay them back. That, that's how stealing affects the heart. I wasn't even a Christian when I did that. And now, it just breaks my heart for what I did to someone else. Then we have covetousness, which really is the 10th commandment. And it's, this is eager for gain of what other people have. 10th commandment. It means that you're not thankful for what you have. And the cause that you break all other commandments, covetousness, wanting things that other people have. Have you ever been around somebody that had a lot of nice things? You may not know what it looks like when the bills come in. They may sit and just cry. Y'all all right? And I tell y'all about the, the time not too long ago. My truck was about had it. And I was just going to get a truck, and I was just going to get me a truck. I need a truck. And I had it all lined up, got the one I wanted, and they were transferring it over. CarMax was bringing it, and the Lord said, you didn't ask me about that truck. Wow. And I said, call them back. I said, I can't have the truck. I'm sorry. I said, I'm going to be honest with you. I was going to buy it, and I didn't pray about it, and the Lord told me not to buy it. The guy, the guy said, uh, Mr. Gray, I want you to know I'm a Christian. I respect that. He said, it's okay. The truck will come here. Somebody will buy it here. It won't matter. Boom, hung up. We're good. Y'all all right? I drove that truck another three years and ended up with 300,000 miles on it. And when it did finally die in the road, I said, Lord, can I go get a truck? Yes, go get you a truck. And thank goodness I didn't want to walk. So the Lord blessed me. Drunks, Methusas. This, the word means tipsy. It means 100%. I mean, it's just drunk, out drunk. Now, I'm not talking about drinking a glass of wine at dinner, drinking a beer at the ball game. I'm talking about drunks. This is drunks, drunks, out, gone. Did you know that every alcoholic, if he didn't take the first drink, wouldn't be an alcoholic? Y'all all right? Billy Sunday called it liquid Satan. It's the great deceiver. It's the great homewrecker. Most adultery, stealing, fornication, and all the other sins are encouraged through drinking. There's two kinds of drunks. One is a fighter and the other is a lover. If you got a drunk at your house, God bless you if you got a lover. Because living with a fighter is not any fun. Now, you say, well, is it okay to drink, Brother Jerry? Well, we're going to get into that. We're going to go through this. Paul says in verse number 12, everything's permissible for me, but not everyone, not everything is helpful, but everything is permissible, but I will not be brought under the power of any. You see, we as Baptists, we hit, we hit hard on alcohol and smoking and all those things. You know, the truth of the matter is it doesn't matter. I'm not, Paul says, honor God with your bodies. And as we look at this, if y'all are willing, I'll go through it. We're running out of time, and I'm going as fast as I can. But this is so important, I wanted to take my time through this. So, but let me ask you a question. And I'll teach you the spiritual principle about alcohol if you want to know it. But if you saw me at Chili's bellied up to the bar drinking in public, would it bother you? If it bothers you that I was there, how come some of you go out in public and do that? 
And you say, well, Brother Jerry, I, I, well, no, not Brother Jerry. Did I tell you it was wrong for you to have a glass of wine or drink a beer somewhere? No, that's not what I said. I said, you hurt your witness, and there's rules to it, and I'll take you through them. And most preachers won't do this, but I don't preach Baptist doctrine here. I preach the Bible. Now, let me walk, let me walk you through this real quickly. Paul in Romans chapter 14 talks about the laws of liberty. And so the second point, and I'm going to deal a lot with this when we get to the second point, the failure of your freedom. And some of you got a bigger problem than alcohol or tobacco when it comes to gossiping, being mean, being rude, not serving like you should, not tithing. Those are more serious than that. Some of you drink enough Diet Cokes to kill a moose. I just want to tell you. And the aspartame and stuff that's in there. So we, we don't have any stones to throw. None of us do. The television shows you watch, that's way more damaging. I mean, and I've looked, some of the beer today has less sugar and carbs in it than Cokes do. You're killing yourself with what you're eating, but you've claimed, oh, this is bad, that's good. No, it's not. So what are the rules? Well, in Romans 14, if you want to go there, you can follow me. If you just hang in there with me, I know this is going to be a little longer, but I want to get through this so we can get to the next one, okay? Now, Romans 14 and 1 through 3, it says, Accept anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue about doubtful issues. One person believes that he may eat anything, but one person is weak. He eats only vegetables. So, you see, here's an issue. It's not the alcohol issue. It's the food issue. And Paul says, well, I'm a vegetarian. One guy says, I'm a vegetarian. Another guy says, I don't eat pork. But will we tear the house of God apart because somebody eats pork and somebody doesn't? No. If you don't eat pork, fine. We've got some folks here, vegetarians. I'm not going to go to them and try to make them eat a hamburger. It's none of my business. Amen? Paul deals with this in the Scripture. And she says, one who eats must not look down on the one who does not eat. And one who does not eat must not criticize the one who does because God has accepted him. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, Paul says in verse 12, it's your responsibility to decide what comes in and out of your life. And I can promise you, you may not like something in my life, but tell me what you're doing. I'll sit down with you. I'll pick out some things for you. You all right? My dad used to encourage my uncle all the time we would have a big barbecue on fourth of july and they'd stay up all night cooking hams we always did hams they did pork hams and put them on the grill and it drove my dad crazy that my uncle was a christian and they would always drink while they were out there cooking barbecue and they're always pestering my uncle come on man it's just one beer have a beer man it's just one beer you know what that's against the rules of scripture if you want to drink a beer have your beer leave the man alone He's walking with Jesus, had a drinking problem, got saved, and walked away from it. To God be the glory. Amen? He put it under, he put it under the wraps. He got it under. Paul says, I will not be brought under the power of any. So my dad was wrong, and I'll never forget that. One man I know who drinks wine with dinner, he's not an alcoholic or anything of that nature, he drinks wine with dinner, he has a family member. That has, is a recovering alcoholic, has quit drinking. When that person comes to their house, they put everything away. Is that hiding? No, it's not hiding. That's obeying the scriptures. I'm going to get to that in just a second. You don't call someone else to stumble. If, 
you know, and this comes out of the context of Paul. There were people in Corinth who came out of the pagan society. They made sacrifices to their gods, and the meat that they offered up would be thrown away. And the Christians were being criticized for going to get the meat that was offered to idols. And Paul says, and boy, there was a ruckus about that. It was the alcohol issue of the day. And Paul, and Paul very, very clearly said, there's no spirit in the meat. It's not the meat that's the problem. It's the witness that's about it. So if you're with somebody and they don't eat meat offered to idols, don't do it. Okay? So now, one man who drinks wine at dinner and another man, I've had people say, I don't want a drop in my house. There's never been a drop on my lips and never will be. To God be the glory. Amen? Now, Romans 14, 5 through 7. Watch. One person considers one day above another. Some, someone else considers every day to be the same. Each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day observes it to the Lord. Whoever eats, eats to the Lord. Since God, since, since he gives thanks to God, and whoever does not eat, it is to the Lord that he does not eat. Yet he thanks God. So if someone is there and they're eating something, you don't eat. Listen, if I went and I ate, listen, for my Christian freedom. I don't mind eat. I'll eat anything that ain't red hot or nailed down. You all right? But if you got offended by my meat, I would ask you if you're a vegetarian, do you mind if I eat this? If I went to eat with Stephanie, I would ask her, Stephanie, would it bother you if I got a hamburger? She would say no, and I would say, okay, then I would order. Y'all all right? That's Christian friendship. Now, Romans 14, 13, watch. Therefore, let us no longer criticize one another, but instead decide not to put a stumbling block or pitfall in your brother's way. That's the key. That's where we are. Paul says, honor God with your body. So if, if you're a drinker and you have a family member that comes, and you say, well, this is my house. We do whatever we want to in my house. They can just get over it. Well, that's not godly because you cause your brother to stumble. Did you hear me? That's not, you're not supposed to do that. You give up, see, honoring God with your body. Your body doesn't belong to you. And so to keep your friend from stumbling or you're out in public, and listen to me. Don't go somewhere and have wine glasses all over the table. Take a picture and put it on Facebook. You're why do we feel like we've got to tell everybody our business? And you say, well, Brother Jerry, that's hiding stuff. No, it's not. Let's keep going. Watch. And so he says, Paul says, I know and I'm persuaded by the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Nothing is unclean in itself. So if you've if you got a problem drinking six Cokes a day, verse 12 says you've got a right to do that if you want to. But you're being brought under the power of something. And I'm going to tell you, there's people that are addicted to things that are a lot worse than alcohol. I'm not, I'm not condoning the alcohol use today. I'm trying to help you just see the truth of the text, the context right here. You understand me? I'm trying to help you see. Some of you grew up in a house where there was an alcoholic. You know what it can do, right? It's tough living. But Paul says in and of itself, everything we eat, everything we drink, there's no demons in it. You, you made it a problem in your life. You were brought under the power of it. Still to someone who considers a thing to be unclean to that one, it's unclean. Now, did you hear that? Now, let me explain a little further. For if your brother is hurt by what you eat, 
you're no longer walking according to love. See? But what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be slandered. For the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace. Whoever serves the Messiah in this way is acceptable to God. Now, here's the kicker right here. Here's the verse, verse 19 through 23. Now, watch. Do not tear down the work of God because of food. Paul's saying, don't argue over meat offered to idols. Don't sit around and argue over Cokes and sweet tea or unsweet tea or whatever, or whether it's wine. And Paul literally says this, but it is wrong for a man to cause someone to stumble by what he eats. So if you cause your brother to stumble, it doesn't matter what it is. Can I say that gossiping goes in here? Slander goes in here? There's some people who never drank, never smoked a cigarette, and the worst gossips in the town. But Paul didn't say gossip, and so it's okay. No, it's not. You get a young believer. Listen, how many times have I dealt with young believers in my office who were brokenhearted because they went to lunch with a mature believer who trashed the pastor and the staff and everybody at church and turned them into a useless Christian over gossip? But that's okay because it doesn't come in a six-pack. If gossip came in a pack, it'd be a 24-pack, I promise you. Watch. It's a noble thing not to eat meat or drink wine. Paul says you'd be better off without it. Or anything that makes your brother stumble. Watch. Verse 22. Do you have faith? What Paul is saying is, Verse 12, if you allow something in your life and it's not a direct law command against it, like adultery, lying, stealing, Paul says if it's a gray area and you allow that in your life and you have faith, here's what Paul says, if it doesn't bother you, he says if it bothers you, your conscience has already condemned you. You don't even need the Bible to condemn you. Paul says if you've got faith, Go ahead. But if you don't, if you're feeling guilty about it, you're already guilty. You made yourself guilty. Don't do it. And then watch what he says. Now, Christian, keep it to yourself before God. If you're a closet pork eater, stay a closet pork eater. Y'all all right? Reminds me of that old song. You know, the guy says, I'm a junk food junkie at night. So... Just keep your business to yourself. Quit telling everybody what you're doing. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. That's verse 12. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is helpful. Now, now don't don't go out of here and say, well, Brother Jerry told us all we could all drink. That's not what I said. That's not what I said. But everyone who doubts stands condemned if he eats. You see, you doubt what you're doing. You've already condemned yourself. Because he eats, and what he eats is not of faith. And everything that is not from faith is sin. So listen to me. Any behavior that you allow in your, in your life, if you can't do it with faith and thank God for it, needs to go. Amen. You all right? You all right? And I got to stop. The last group is the slanderers. Will Rogers said, live in such a way so that you wouldn't be ashamed to sell the family parrot to the town gossip. 
That's the way to go. Uh, gosh, I'm so far out of time. Last time I preached over the, on the greens, Mike gave me a little mic. He was recording the sound, too, and he said, Now, everything you say can be heard before you preach. I said, Okay. So somebody called me later on and said, Hey, did you know your mic was on before the service? I said, Yeah, I'm comfortable with everything I said. <laughs> you all right? You all right? Okay. A Christian businessman was making heavy equipment and he made this land scraper and he called it the Model G. And he asked, why do you call that the Model G? He says, well, it's for gossip. It moves a lot of dirt and it moves it fast. It's what, you sl <laughs> it's what the slanderers are for. I love this. Uh, I've got to quit, but I have so much more to give you, but. You know, the old preacher was uh, the old farmer. He's riding around doing his work, and his truck broke down. And uh, it broke down in front of one of the ladies' houses. There was a member of his church, so he left his truck there. He couldn't get it fixed, so he left it there all night. Town gossip saw that. Well, next thing you know, this farmer is having an affair with this woman and all this stuff going on. So the farmer, he never said a word. He just got his truck fixed. Then he drove it over to the lady's gossip's house, parked in front of her house, and walked home. <laughs> so, yeah. right, so. See, every, <laughs> everything that you see may not be as it is. Mind your beeswax. My girlfriend in college, her daddy had all the money in the world, but he had a habit. He couldn't let things go. He collected cans. So Mr. Lively would take the can, dump it out, throw it in the floorboard of his car. Keep them. Keep them. Had this big tank in the back with these things, and then he had a machine that crushed them. And he'd get a bunch of them, and he'd take them and sell them for nothing, hardly. Well, the, he was a deacon at the Baptist church. Well, if he found a beer can, it went in there too. It's hilarious. And I said, Mr. Lively, aren't you scared some Baptists are going to see that in there and think, Mr. Lively's drinking. He said, I like to keep them riled up, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> honor God with your body. We're going to look at the practical side. Remember, Paul said, this is the way the unrighteous live. This is the way we live. And I'll promise you that if I'm doing anything that would hinder you, you come tell me and say, Pastor, I think you need to think about this. Did you know what? In humility, I will say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. All I want you to see is the fabric of God's holiness in my life because it's not my holiness. If you see any holiness in me, it's him. Amen. If you're here this morning and you thought about you've been visiting, you want to come join Woodlake, come join Woodlake. Help us to reach the lost. Help us to love people who need Jesus. If you're here today and you just need to come pray, come pray. This is not a counseling time or a lingering time, but if you need to just talk to the Lord and deal with him, come on. If you're here today and you've never given Jesus Christ your heart, come say, Pastor, 
I've got an emptiness in my soul. I want to fill it. If you'll come, you don't even have to come to me right now. You just, you just say, Lord, cleanse me, forgive me, wash me. Would you make me your child in Jesus' name? He'll save you. He'll seal you. And I promise you, he will put the Holy Spirit in you to prove to you. That's the seal of promise that he is in your heart. Let's stand.